I just want to say there's so many of you guys here today. Why? Wow. All right. <laughs> Thank you. It's like fan club. All right. Uh, what's up, KU? So most of you guys should know who I am by now. My name is Sarah Sa. I serve as a staff here at KU. Uh, at the Korea University chapter. Uh, before I start, I just want to celebrate with you guys that you're done with midterms. Woo! All right. So, uh, yeah. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, so like Eunice shared three years ago, I was an amazed student. Um, I do want to share my testimony with you guys, but I don't have a lot of time to do that. And so uh, really briefly, I'll just say that I basically grew up in the church. I got drunk a lot. I left church. I did a lot of drugs. And then I encountered God, and now I'm here. Okay, so that was like a snippet. If you guys want more, then just visit me on my campus days, Tuesday, Thursday, okay? And I'll be uh, more than happy to share with you. Um, but I want to keep this message as concise and fun and engaging as possible, um, as it possibly can. But I know the struggle to stay awake is real sometimes, right? So I brought candy for you. All right? It's Hershey's Miniatures, okay? And so you guys can uh, take some, pass it around. Don't be greedy, though. There's a lot of you guys today, so you might just only have to take one. But uh, eat that, get sugared up, and don't fall asleep, okay? But when uh, Eunice first told me that I was going to be speaking this semester, I actually freaked out. I did not expect it. Um, and I think as I was preparing, I, felt, I found myself in a place of striving, you know, trying to come up with this really good word where I can get, like, a pat on my back, all the likes on Facebook and things like that. But uh, as I was talking to a lot of New Philly preachers and pastors— one of the best advices that I got was, uh, you know, I got to preach on something that God's been speaking to me continuously about. You know, something that I've already gotten revelation about. And so, yeah, I think one day it just clicked and I was like, okay, I know what I'm going to preach about. Okay, so I got a good word for you tonight. And I believe that it's going to really encourage all of you. So tonight I'm going to be speaking about tension. Right, everyone say tension. Tension, all right. Before we start, let me open us up in prayer. If you can close your eyes. Uh, Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for Amaze KU. I thank you, God, for uh, just this large group tonight, God, where we're going to really get to know uh, more about you. So, Father, I just pray, God, an opening of hearts and minds all across the room, God. We just pray against all distractions, all drowsiness, Lord. And I pray, God, even for myself, would you calm my nerves, the shaking that's happening right now, would you take it away? And I pray just peace all across this room. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We give it to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, okay, this is the definition of tension. Tension is two balancing forces causing or tending to cause extension, okay, or inner striving, unrest, or imbalance, often with physiological indication of emotion. So when I read that too, I had no idea what I was talking about. I was trying to, like, summarize it for you guys, but I couldn't figure it out. And so I'm just going to give you the Sarasa Dictionary definition of what tension means for the sake of tonight too, okay? Are you ready? Tension is the unrest you feel when you realize that everything is not okay in this world. Everything is not okay in my life. My life is not perfect, but there's still hope. Okay? That's my definition of tension. The one that we're going to talk about tonight. Okay? It's the tension of accepting what I see in the natural as truth. Right? The fact that I left my family and friends back in California, but to see it as a step of faith and act of obedience to God rather than abandonment of the people that I love. Right? And can I be vulnerable with you guys? I know Eunice said it's going to be an uplifting night, but I don't know. I want it to be uplifting, but I'm just going to be honest with you guys, okay? Um, yeah, how about the fact that my parents' marriage is suffering, right? Both my mom and dad are heavily depressed. Uh, it seems like my family is falling apart. 
but choosing to believe that God is still moving and he's up to something even though I can't see it. How about that tension, right? The fact that I'm here in Korea, I'm not doing what I originally thought I was going to do. I came here because I had a heart for North Korea, but I'm working at a Yuchiwon or, a, you know, kindergarten, uh, and that's not what I want to do. But to choose to see it as part of his grand plan for my life, how about that tension, right? And see that it's not a waste of time, okay? So, uh, but enough about me. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to look at a story about a man in the Bible who faces some major tension in his life. We are going to examine the life of Job. Ooh, right? Job. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, snap. Yeah, here we go. All right, so who here knows the story about Job? Raise your hand. Many of you guys, okay. All right, it's, about, it's a story about a man of God. He's a righteous man of God who loses everything. He loses possessions, his family, and his health in an instant, okay? Uh, the book of Job is very long. It's 42 chapters. We're not going to go through, like, every, we're not going to read it together. It's going to take, that's going to be my whole sermon. So I'm going to summarize it as best as I can for you and just highlight parts that I want to talk about tonight, okay? So in Job, right, there's a man named Job, and the Bible says that this man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Okay, I'm going to give you guys some stats about him, okay? He has seven sons, three daughters. He was a rich man. He possessed 7,000 sheep. How many of you guys have 7,000 sheep in your house? No, right? 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and many servants, so that the Bible says this man was the greatest of all people of the East. Okay, that's how rich he was. And often we stereotype people, like rich people. You know, they're snobby, they're stuck up, they're brats, right? But uh, Job was not a stuck up rich person, okay? In the, in the later part of Job, we find out that he, uh, what he actually does with his money. Um, he rescued the needy. He cared personally for handicapped and dying people. He brought orphans into his home. And he even took powerful men of his day to court to stand up for less privileged people. And that's the kind of man that Job was. Um, he was a righteous man. Okay, and the story of Job, but the story of Job can only be fully understood by taking into account what happened in heaven. Okay, so a lot of people don't really know this part about the story of Job. You know, like, why did God let, or how did that happen? Why, why does God let Satan take away all these things from Job? Okay, so this is what happens in heaven. Right, there was a day when the sons of God, meaning angelic beings, uh, presented themselves before the Lord, and among this group of angelic beings was also Satan. Now hold up. Why is Satan, how, how and why can Satan be present when we're talking about angelic beings? That's because Satan himself is an angelic being. But I want you guys to take note of this. I said he's an angelic being. That means he's in no way, shape, or form on the same level of God. Okay, he's an angelic being. He's a fallen angel. Um, Satan wishes he were the opposite of God, but he's not even on the same standard, not, on even, not even on the same level as God, okay? So even fallen angelic beings have access to the presence of God. But one day they will be restricted on earth, right? It says that in Revelation 12, 9. So God allows Satan and fallen angelic beings into his present, presence, but only for his own purposes, all right? So, so we see in Job that God and Satan engage in a conversation, okay? God asks Satan where he's coming from, and Satan says he's been going to and fro from earth. Though Satan has access to heaven, he also has free access to the earth, right? The Bible says that he roams around the earth like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Then God starts talking about Job. It was God, God was the one who brought up Job as a subject for discussion, in the sense of bragging about Job's godliness, Job was such a man of virtue that God was saying, hey, Satan, have you seen my, my dude, my man, Job? You know, God was so impressed, right? He's affirming uh, the description of Job in 1-1, saying that he's blameless and upright. 
All right, then Satan says in verse 9, does, jo- does Job fear God for nothing? And challenges God by saying, if you touch all that he has, he will surely curse you in your face, um, God, you know? And so uh, God says, all right, Satan, challenge accepted. You can t- touch uh, Job's possessions, but just don't touch him physically, okay? So Satan goes to work, and he takes away his property, all right? And back then, property, possessions, that equates money. So it's like the equivalent of God taking away all of our, or Satan taking away all of our money that we have, okay? And he also killed all of his children, all right? But still, Job continues to bless God. Um, then we see the same conversation between Satan and God occur a second time in heaven. Uh, but this time, Satan's saying, skin for skin, you know? Let me touch his health. If, surely if I touch his health, he's going to curse you. So God says, okay, you can touch his health, but don't kill him. Just spare his life. So Satan gives him, Job, powerful, oh, no, powerful, painful sores all over his body, right? And at this point, even Job's wife is telling Job that he's foolish, right? She says in chapter 2, verse 9, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Just curse God and die. But check out how Job replies in verse 10. He says, Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Right? So do you guys understand what just happened? All right? Satan just took away everything and took away his health. And his wife's like, Hubby! God just took everything away from us, all our money, our children, and now even your health. And are you really going to continue to worship God? Come on, is your faith really that strong? Just curse God and die, you know? But Job says, no, shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? See, Job recognized that God does not owe us good, but instead uh, he gives it as a gift for us to receive. In the same way, when adversity comes our way, there's wisdom in seeing that even in adversity, there may be a gift that God is trying to give to us. All right? And then later on uh, comes along Job's three friends who are not the best of friends because, they, they, you know, they come to comfort him. But really, basically what they do is in their own poetic way, they're basically accusing Job of being evil, right? Saying, you pretty much brought all this on yourself. Um, you've obviously done something wrong, so God is punishing you. That's the advice, the great advice that they're giving Job um, to comfort him, right? They're quick to come to conclusions, and they could not endure the mysteries of God, all right? But everyone, do you have your Bibles or your phones? Everyone open to Job chapter 13, verse 15. Job chapter 13, verse 15. It's hot up in here. I'm also very nervous. All right, Job chapter 13, verse 15. Okay, I have different versions for you guys that I'll read. Okay, but it says, but in light of all this that happened to Job, right, in Job 13, 15, Job replies to his friends, though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. Okay, that was the ESV version. Let me read it in the NIV for you. Though he slay me, Yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Let me read it one more time in the NLT. It's like the easiest way to understand this, what he just said, okay? God might kill me, but I have no other hope. I am going to argue my case with him, right? Job does not understand any of his situation. He even felt that God was against him, not for him. But at the same time, he could still exclaim, yet I will trust him. I will hope in him, all right? So the question here is, how do we live in the tensions of life without falling apart? That's the question I want to address tonight. How do we live in the tensions of life without falling apart? 
Right, so I'm going to give you guys four tips. This is where you guys take notes. Okay, take out your notes. Take notes. All right. Number one, okay, the first tip is understand that tension is only temporary and transitional. Okay, one more time. Understand that tension is only temporary and transitional. All right. It's a passing season, right? It's a passing season. But too many of us try to stay in these places of tension that are only meant to be temporary. And we need to realize that this tension will pass and that God gives us tension in our lives so that we can learn certain lessons in the midst of them. So that we can learn lessons that, uh, that we otherwise couldn't have gotten or learned if we didn't go through that fire. And in this, he teaches us the art of overcoming by giving us opportunities to take authority over the emotions that we feel when tension comes along. Right? So the Bible doesn't say clearly how long Job's affliction lasted for. Right? The, word, uh, the word, the Bible mentions days, it mentions months. Right? It's mentioned throughout the book of Job, but it never clearly says how long his uh, affliction lasted for. But we can assume that it probably lasted less than a year, because it doesn't mention years, but more than a couple months. Okay? So his affliction could have lasted less than a year, but for sure more than a couple months. Alright? Job's story does not end in a tragedy. He doesn't die a lonely, sad man. Okay? In chapter 42, it says, The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Okay? God blessed him even more than he, he did in the beginning before he got things taken away from him. Right? It says, it lists all the sheep again, right? Sheep, he has lots of sheep, camels, oxen, female donkeys, sons, daughters, and grandchildren, right? He was blessed far beyond how much he was before he got these afflictions, right? So God allowed tension in Job's life. Why? Because God wanted to know whether Job would love him in spite of everything, right? God wanted to see if Job would trust him fully, right? So that's point number one, okay, that... Uh, you got to understand that tension is only temporary and transitional. Are you guys ready for point number two? All right, point number two. The second tip is know God's character and choose to believe in it. All right, number two, know God's character and choose to believe in it. Uh, do we have any C.S. Lewis fans in this room? Raise your hand if you like, of course, Stella, only Stella. Shelby, all right. All right, Shua, okay, okay. <laughs> Who has never heard of C.S. Lewis, honestly? It's cool. So everyone's heard of C.S. Lewis? I don't know. I look at uh, Judy. Don't lie. I know you don't know. Your face. Uh, all right. Who read the book Screwtape Letters? Screwtape Letters? Okay, Stella. Okay. Johnny in the back. All right. All right. So when I was younger, I actually read the book, but I had no idea what the book was about. I did not understand it. I read it, and it was just confusion ev everywhere. Um, you know, and so I didn't really understand the book until I actually prepared for the sermon. Uh, I figured out why I did not understand the book. It's because I didn't understand the format that it was written in, okay? The format is the story takes place, uh, takes the form of, of a series of letters from a senior demon, right, named Screwtape to his nephew, Wormwood, who's a junior tempter. Okay, so basically it's an experienced uncle demon writing letters of advice to his noob nephew demon. Okay? Right? All right, so here is an excerpt from the book showing a demon's perspective of this dynamic of a trial in the life of the believer. All right, I, I gave it to you because it's so good. You guys need to, like, read it as I read it. Okay, ready? He wants them to learn to walk and must, therefore, take away his hand. 
And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to, be, seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let that sink in for a second, okay? Just just read it one more time and let it sink in. Do you guys understand what that's saying? Right? That's a that's a senior demon writing to his no, nephew, all right? And he's saying, right? That's what he said. I was shocked when I read that. It's powerful, right? But let me tell you something. Your unshakable faith in God is Satan's worst nightmare. All right? He hates it. He hates that you choose to believe in God in the midst of, uncert- of uncertainty, okay? He hates that even in moments where you feel like God isn't there, where you might even doubt his existence, there's still faith in your unbelief. He hates that you don't give up, okay? He celebrates when you give up. He celebrates every time you doubt God, every time you uh, choose not to hope in him. He loves that, right? And that's what this excerpt is saying, all right? Um, Satan is evil and rotten to the core, and he's going to do whatever he can to get you to abandon your faith. You guys need to understand that, right? I mentioned earlier about Job's conversations with his three friends. Uh, They pretty much give him the worst advice ever, right? Uh, Basically, they tell him that it's his fault, that he must be getting what he deserves, right? God is for sure punishing him. Um, Although Job is devastated because because his pain and suffering is very real, he never curses God or forsakes him. How does he do this in the midst of what's happening to him? How does that make any sense? He's just choosing to trust in God's character. Despite his situation, despite the advice that his friends were giving him, he says, no, I choose to trust in him and him alone. All right? Good? All right, tip number three. Remember God's promises. All right, tip number three is remember God's promises. We as Christians, as, as believers, as God's sons and daughters, we need to stand firm on the promises that he's revealed to us. And I'm going to mention there's two kinds of promises that I'm talking about. First one goes along with the point I made before about knowing God's character, okay? The first point is uh, know the promises, or the first is the promises of who he is written in the word of God. All right? These are promises written in the word of God. I'm going to give you guys some right now. So you guys could write these down and meditate on it whenever shaking comes, all right? So Deuteronomy 31, 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread for them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will not leave you or forsake you. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Romans 8, 37 to 39, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And last one, Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, these are promises God's given us in his written word. 
All right, so that's the first kind of promise. The second promise is promises he's already revealed to us before the tension got real. All right, these are personal promises that he's given to us through prayers, through personal revelations, through conversations with people. We got to hold on to these so we always know what to fall back on when shaking comes. So let me give you an example. When I was an amazing student back in 2012, I made a commitment to move to Korea after I graduate. A commitment to live in Korea, to serve Korea, to pray for Korea, to bless Korea. Okay, even though I'm from America, I made a commitment uh, in 2012. And I remember I went up to an altar call uh, that we did at our church, New Philly, in response to this commitment. And one thing the pastor prayed over me was this. He said, Sarah, God honors the commitment that you are making to him. Don't worry about your family. Don't worry about leaving them. He's going to do things in your family that he couldn't have done if you stayed. He's going to do things in your family that he couldn't have done if you stayed. So back then, I didn't fully understand this prayer. Because nothing was really happening. I was a student. I didn't understand. I was like, okay. Um, but I think right now, I understand it more than ever. Right? I hold fast to it. I remember it. I pray over it. I choose to believe in it for my family. Right? There are many times in the past two years that I've wanted to throw in the towel and just go back to California. Even though I know I'm called to Korea. Even though I know in my heart that I'm supposed to be here, that God clearly has a plan for me here in Korea, I wanted to give up. There's many times. You could ask Eunice. She's, back then, she discipled me. and She knew. This was probably like a year ago, guys, that I really just wanted to go back home. Um, but each time the temptation got real uh, to pack my things and go, I remember that promise, right? That God is going to do things in my family that he couldn't do if I stayed behind in California. Okay? Even though I hear slander, from my, ex- my extended family saying that I abandoned my family. They're going through all this stuff and I left them. Even though I hear those kind of things and even though my parents' marriage is failing and they're both depressed, am I being foolish? Do I, do I think I'm being foolish that I'm here? No. Why? Because I remember the promises God's spoken over me and I choose to believe and stand firm in that. Right? So you guys need to do that too. For whatever promises God's spoken over you in your life personally, whatever Satan tries to do to bring lies into that situation you need to stand firm and remember go back and remember the promises this is another reason why when we when you guys get prayed over by people we ask you guys take notes jot things down remember these things right because it's going to help you in the future all right choose faith instead okay guys choose faith instead all right the last point the last tip i'm going to give you guys this is the big one the big one you guys ready Last one, we need to put our hope in God, okay? That's it. We need to put our hope in God. We need to put our hope in God. What did Job say in Job thirteen fifteen? He says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Right? Though you allow shaking in my life, God, though things really just suck sometimes and things suck right now, I choose to hope in you. I choose to put my hope in you. Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church, he said that the essence of hope is the ability to face the facts that are against you, but keep your faith in the God who is within you. The essence of hope is the ability to face the facts that are against you, but keep your faith in the God who is within you. He doesn't say ignore the facts, ignore the pain, ignore the tension, just suck it up and pretend like everything's okay and just move on. He doesn't say ignore it. No, he says face the facts that are against you. You need to acknowledge, when you're going through things, you need to acknowledge, okay, things do suck right now. It's hard. 
right? But the, the key is not to stay there, right? You need to acknowledge, yes, that that person hurt me. Acknowledge that my relationship with my father sucks. Acknowledge that I did a lot of things that I shouldn't have done and I regret it, right? But don't, don't stay there. Don't stay in a place of sadness and confusion, okay? The key is not to stay there. In the midst of tension, we can't put our hope in the situations, okay? We don't put our hope in other people. You don't put your hope in your familiar leader, right? You don't put your hope in your pastor, okay? You don't put your hope in other people. You don't put your hope in me because I have a mic up here. It doesn't mean anything, right? You put your hope in God and God alone, right? In Zechariah 9.12, right, the Bible calls us prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope. Do you know what it feels like to be a prisoner of hope? That in the midst of hopelessness, you are hopeful. That doesn't make any sense, right? That in the midst of hopelessness, there's still hope. That even though everything around you seems completely messed up, you're still filled with the joy of the Lord and can overcome because your hope is in God, not in your situation, not in the people around you. This is what it means to be living in attention, okay? To hope in God in the midst of hopelessness, right? I'm not sure who said this, but I read it in an article. It says, even in the tension, there is good news, Jesus is speaking. Jesus is blessing. Jesus is in control. And it might not make sense, but God's love never has. Right? Let that sink in. Even in the tension, there is good news. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is blessing. Jesus is in control. And it might not make sense, but God's love never has. God's love doesn't make sense. God's love doesn't make sense. Right? So it's not like I'm a superhuman, guys. It's not like I don't feel emotions. I feel everything. I actually feel a lot. I'm, my number one strength is empathy. I feel everything. Right? I counted all the costs, and I'm still counting all the costs of my decisions that I made. Right? The other staff here, right, they've all counted the, counted the costs um, to be here in Korea. Right? We feel the weight of our decisions um, every day. Right? We feel the weight of that. But are we willing to live in this tension in the tensions that we are facing in our own lives, in light of all that, right? That life is actually hard and tough times come our way, but will we remain unshakable in our faith because our hope is in God, right? That's what, that's what it means to live in the tension and hope in God, that even though everything in my life is not perfect, I'm still going to choose to trust in God, to hope in God, right? Even though my family, there's a lot of things going on. Even though I'm not doing what I want to out here in Korea necessarily. I mean, I love Emmaus and I love what I'm doing. But it's not what I thought originally God called me to do. Am I going to like pout and go home and just cry and be like, God, you gave me all these promises that I'm going to, you know, do this and that for North Korea. But I'm not doing that. God, I'm angry. God, how could you bring depression to my parents? How could you put a strain on their marriage? How can you let my extended family slander me because of what I'm doing out here for you, God? But how can I still choose to uh, you choose joy and choose to serve God and not give up? It's because my hope is not in the situations. My hope is not in earthly things. I hope in God. And God is unchanging. God is my rock. God is my strength, right? And that's what you guys need to do. Don't let the daily struggles, the little things in your life bring you down, all right? Don't, don't get stumbled by that. Just recognize that, all right, that sucks. But my hope is in God, and things are going to be great. And as you partner with God and as you pray, it's going to get better, right? Dang, did I did I speak really fast? How long has this been? 
All right, shortest sermon ever. All right, can you guys close your eyes?